0: Holy Spirit, please help us now, because words which were spiritually given, that is to say by your work, by your agency, need to be spiritually received. We need your help, Lord, to open our hearts, to open our minds, to see, to understand, to receive and to respond in obedience to the words of God today. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, please be our helper now. Amen. Amen. Hebrews. We're picking up towards the end of Hebrews chapter two, 5 today. This letter was written to believers from a Jewish background in the 80s, 60s. And as persecution against Christians by the Roman Emperor was increasing, they are faced with this temptation to deny Jesus and go back under the relative safety of being just Jewish. So the message of the letter is this. Jesus is better. I saw the video earlier. He's greater and better than angels and Moses and Levitical priests, than all of the Old Covenant. So to put that in very modern terms, it goes like this. Jesus is better than Judaism. Jesus doesn't offer us Judaism plus. Jesus is altogether better than Judaism. But alongside the presentation of Jesus being better and greater, there come along the way, in Hebrews, some serious warnings not to depart from faith and obedience to Jesus. Not only not to deny him, but not to depart, not to turn aside from following him. So before the writer returns to the topic of Jesus being a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, and I'm not going to explain that today, we pick it up again in chapter 7. There's another warning section now in Hebrews, and it goes from the end of chapter 5 into chapter 6. We'll look at chapter 6 two weeks' time. So let's look at Hebrews together. The heading for these verses today, 11, 12, 13, 14, is Call to Maturity. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. Concerning him, concerning who? Jesus or Melchizedek? Well, what about both of them? Because you could translate it concerning him, concerning which. And it's really both Jesus and Melchizedek and the comparison between them. Jesus is not like Levi, not like Aaron. He's like Melchizedek. Come back to that later. And the apostle says we have much to say about Jesus and about Melchizedek the fact that he's like Melchizedek, but you are not yet able to take it. It's hard to explain these things. Why? Because I'm I, I don't understand them well enough myself. Well no, he's not saying that. It's hard to explain these things because you are dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. It really matters that we hear through Bible reading, through, through preaching, and so on, and how we hear the Word of God. It really matters. It has consequences. Now, if you're an educator or you're a preacher and a teacher, you will know it's really easy to teach people who want to hear. And that's why sometimes the seminar situation is such great fun, because people have signed up, maybe even paid money, to be there at the seminar, and they all want to learn. And boy, it's a doddle to teach people who just, you know, have all come eager to hear. They just kind of pull it out of you, you know? And they ask questions and you go, you know, and you barely get your coffee breaks. And it There's a world of difference between teaching people who want to hear and those who are dull of hearing. This dullness of hearing is not physical, it's actually determination that goes on in your will and your heart. There's an old English proverb that says, there's none, I feel like saying this in Yorkshire. here, but, there's none so blind as those who do not want to see and none so deaf as those who do not want to hear. It's a willful thing. I'm not really listening. You know, like the child that goes, I can't see you. No, no, sorry. They say, you can't see me. What? You just put your hand over your eyes. I can't hear you. La, 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 la. It's a child's game and it's fun. But there's too many of us as adults who are doing the similar thing. When it comes to how we receive, whether we receive God's work. These people... Sadly, maybe some of us too, have dialed down, turned off. They don't want any more. They don't want to hear more. Let's read the next few verses. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. If I was to sum all of that up, I'm not trying to improve on scripture, you understand, I'm just preach preacher making a headline. If I was to give that two words, it would be this, grow up. Yeah? Can you accept that? It's a call to maturity. In very, very simple English, grow up. It's a serious call to maturity. It follows the Apostle telling us in the verses before, in chapter 5 and 4 and 5, that Jesus himself was brought to maturity. In chapter 4 it says, He learned obedience through the things which he suffered or endured. And having been made perfect or mature or complete... He became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Jesus himself was brought to maturity. Maturity of manhood, maturity of character. And at that point in time he did what? He went to the cross. He was the fully tested, fully mature sacrifice in our place. And we are being brought to maturity. So let's talk about maturity. I'm not using the word spiritual maturity. I could use Christian maturity, but just maturity will do. Why don't I like the expression spiritual maturity? Well, besides the fact it's not actually found in the Bible, and the fact that almost everybody uses it, I still struggle with it. And it's these two reasons. Number one, the word spiritual is nowadays used in a way the Bible doesn't use it. As if it's somehow a, a characteristic of us. It's, it's like a, a measure of the way we are. And it isn't really. In almost every place that I've looked at this word in in Scripture, this Greek word that gets translated spiritual, it refers to the person and the work of God, the Holy Spirit. It's His work. You know, when it says, He that is spiritual, it's He who has the Spirit, on whom the Spirit is resting, in whom the Spirit is at work. It's not a human quality, it's His work in us. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to bring us to maturity, but growing to maturity is also still our personal responsibility. The second one is this, that in Greek philosophy, and sadly the church in the West is riddled with Greek thinking and philosophy because our education system is, they misuse the word spiritual to mean uh, that which is kind of religious and and, and internal and mystical, and it's nothing really to do with real life. Spiritual is over here... Physical and real is over here, So spiritual isn't real. I totally reject that Greek thinking, because the Bible does not speak to us merely in terms of spirits, disembodied things. Let me give you a scripture that highlights that. One Thessalonians 5:23, "Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you, bring you to holiness and maturity completely. May your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God cares for us as whole human beings. Mind, heart, body. It matters what we do with our bodies because Jesus did not just buy our soul, thinking in terms of some disembodied thing. He bought us, our beings. In fact, in old English, soul means a whole human being. You know when they do SOS save our souls? What the, what, do they want to preach, or preach the gospel to them or do they want to, they want to be rescued physically? A, hu- a human being is a living soul. It means a person. And God saves us, not just spiritually, not just emotionally, not just intellectually. He saves us physically too. That's why there's going to be a resurrection. We will be whole human beings, just as our Master Jesus is now a whole and glorified man sitting in the throne of God. So that's one of the reasons I struggle with this word spiritual. It's misused in places. Scriptures don't tell us to grow in some ways, you know, in our heart or in our minds, but in all ways. Our whole being is to one of the Lord. What we do with our minds, with our bodies, with our hearts, with our time, with our tongues, all matters. The Apostle fixes upon this point, this one example to say why they're not mature. Why these believers need to hear some stuff again. By this time, you ought to be teachers. He's saying to them, you should be able to build upon your faith. You should be able to learn more by now. You should be living more confidently and uprightly. You should be able indeed to teach others, but you need someone to teach you the basic things again. By a certain time after we've become Christians, we should have learned enough and be responsible enough to be able to teach others coming along behind us. That doesn't mean we all become teachers in the sense of Ephesians 4, those whom Christ gives to his church as leaders and preachers and so on. But the scripture tells us we all have a general responsibility to teach and be an example to others. Showing those who are not yet believers what faith in Jesus is about showing those who are newer than us in this faith how to follow and obey Jesus. I say showing rather than telling because discipleship is all about example, not just lectures. We're to be examples to follow, not just people who talk about things. If we fail to become responsible and examples to others, it's probably because we're dull of hearing. We're still stuck on the beginner's lessons. We're still needing milk and not solid food. He doesn't want to have it, does he? This language in the Bible is scathing of immaturity. We love babies and toddlers. I mean, we have a grandson. We love him to bits. But when the Bible calls you an infant, it is not a compliment. Adults... Bear responsibility and share in the work to be done. Infants don't. You love them to bits, but they they drain everything from you. They depend on you for everything. I want you to think of the difference. Now, you realize, ladies, I try ever so hard not to be hard on you and just on us blokes, all right? So I always use men as examples. That's not being myself. It's just I kind of want to be nice to you. Nicer to you, let's say. Think of the difference between a lad and a man. A lad is self-centered. He's only waiting for his next out night out with the boys or his next curry night. We're having one. All right? His pay packet, he knows exactly how he's going to pay, spend his pay packet. You know, it's going to be this and this and no, no. Xbox and ah, yeah. He's a lad. But a mature man takes responsibility not only for himself but for others. He disciplines himself to care for his wife and his children, his friends. He's responsible to the people he works for and those who work for him. And again and again, a man chooses the interests of others over his own. Mature people are self-controlled, balanced. They take full responsibility for themselves, for their well-being, physical, emotional, mental well-being, Their lifestyle, their actions, and reactions. Because they take that responsibility for themselves, they can then act responsibly towards people around them. Irresponsibility is immaturity. And indiscipline is immaturity. Let's read on. Everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an, in, an infant. God's word is not just a word of revelation to us, but a word of righteousness. It doesn't just give us revelation and information and these wonderful doctrines and things, it becomes en- entirely practical. It's how we live. We live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Do you get the expression there? We live by it. Our way of life is changed by it and shaped by it. We live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We don't just do church on Sunday. We live 24-7 by a word of revelation and a word of righteousness. This is how we do life. This, my friends is how we run marriage and family. Whatever the world thinks, this is how we do. Sexual morality and marriage and family. Whatever the world thinks, this is how we handle that that tricky stuff, money. Do you get it? It's a word of righteousness. How we will live in a way which is honoring to and pleasing to our Lord. You need solid food to learn how to live righteously. It's God's word of righteousness is solid food. I've probably preached half my notes here without looking at them. We are accountable to this rule or measure of righteousness. And if we don't come to God's word to be directed how to walk, how to live God's way, then you're at best an infant and you're not growing. When you know the truth, you do it. You walk in it. We saw in 1 John that a faith that doesn't obey the Lord and keep his commandments or instructions is not real faith. Next, the verse says, But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, they keep on doing it, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Let me put these verses together to give you a little picture here. Some measures of immaturity and maturity. Maturity is a person who is able to be taught and to learn, able to receive. Immaturity, you're unable to be taught to learn. A mature person is therefore able or qualified to teach others to some degree. You know? What you have learned, you can pass on to someone else. You don't know everything yet? Hey, do I know everything? Please don't say yes. It's not true. But you're able, within measure, to teach others, to pass on what you yourself have received and you yourself have learned to do. But an immature person is unable or unqualified to teach others because they haven't practiced them themselves. A mature person is able to discern good from evil. We'll talk about how you do that in a minute. But an immature person is unable to discern good from evil. And, 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 and if you, sometimes someone who is a little more mature than them says to them, don't you think that's it really, well, where would you get that idea from? Well, they haven't handled the word of righteousness so as to discern good from evil. I want you to listen again to one John. Juan John. I, you know, I, I'm very tempted to go back to where we've studied before and where we've learned before. Try not to do it too much, but I, I want to put these scriptures before you again today. John here talks about three groups of people, three ages. And again, it's, it's, it's inclusive language, ladies. It's not exclusive language. When I mean, he talks about uh, young men and fathers. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. Little children, toddlers. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you've overcome the evil one. I have written to you children because you know the father. I've written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I've written to you young men because you're strong and the word of God lives in you and you've overcome the evil one. There's growth here from little children, infants who just know their sins have been forgiven them and God is their father because Jesus died for them. And that's good. And we never let go of that. But we need to grow with that. Young men or young women who are strong and up for it. Let me, let me at it. You know, I'm going to go and change the world. And if you never feel like that, then that, I don't know why you, what's the matter with you? You know, if there wasn't a point in your life when you were radical, when you were excited, when you wanted to, whether it was in politics or in church, or whatever else. You were, I, th- yeah, I tell you what, looking, looking back on my, my early 20, late teens and early 20s, you know, my pastors were really kind and patient towards me because I think I was a pain in the neck. I thought I could fix everything and change everything, you know? nothing wrong with that stage of life being radical being enthusiastic but you know what there's something even beyond that we might look at leaders and pastors like that and think oh that really is something there's a stage beyond that and it's described in these words twice over you know him who is from the beginning I've known many Christian leaders in my life but I can count on one hand the number of people who have impressed me with just that one thing, they really knew Jesus. Like, scarily so. Every one of us still has scope for growth. Paul, towards the end of his life, was focused on that one last thing. You can read in Philippians 3, knowing Jesus himself. Now, I've got a few headlines to wind through here. Wind up really. Mm-hmm. Maturity is far from instant. You don't close the door on your infant for a moment, you know, to go and answer the front door and come back, and there's a young man sitting there eating steak and chips. Neither is growing as a Christian instant. I also want to say growing older is inevitable, growing up is optional. As a believer, you grow when you choose to, when you cooperate with it. It is not inevitable that Christians become more mature, become more grown up as believers. I'm going to read you... Oh, there's a picture for you. It's funny and it's sad. You see, by a certain age... You've got to let some things go. Let me read you something from, I think it's from Doug Morell, who writes about discipleship in, in blogs and so on. Age alone does not produce maturity. It is amazing how many of us think it does. We live with this idea of inevitable growth. We, we say to ourselves, just give us time. We've only been a Christian for 20 or 30 years. Perhaps we'll yet grow out of our anger and envy and jealousy and divisive spirits. But time alone never brings maturity. Why do we suffer and endure trials and hardships? Doesn't the Lord want to make life easier for us? No, because he has a plan. Because he's working character and endurance and maturity in us. He's making us more like Jesus. Jesus. It's the route towards maturity. It's how we respond to these trials and crises that makes all the difference. And in those crises and trials, we make choices whether we grow in character or just groan and complain. Enough of him. Maturity comes with receiving solid food. Solid food. Many Christians want to hear the truth mashed up, sugared up and made easy to swallow. That's why some TV ministries are so popular. Because implied in the way those ministries operate is this kind of attitude. You know, the the Bible's a lot for you to handle. I know that. Just trust me and I'll give you what you need. No particular impersonation implied. Isn't it true? Everyone wants the preacher to give them an ABC, a one, two, three. Don't, don't give me all the right, I don't want to know it all, I just want to know that bit. Einstein, famous you know, genius, said the role of, a, of an educator is to make everything as simple as possible, but no simpler. I don't know if you understand that. You can oversimplify things so they're no longer connected to the truth of what you're talking about. To grow to maturity, think of it as a baby growing up. You, know? you need to learn some things. How to cut up, fork up or spoon up and chew and digest your food for yourself. You can't stay on milk forever. And Christians who do not read, study, work at understanding the truth and expect a preacher to spoon feed them on Sunday mornings will not grow to maturity. Solid food, stuff you have to chew, stuff you have to think through, stuff you have to deal with. Is how you become mature. But those who will be diligent in reading and working through Scripture, and I know a number of people joined with us a few years ago, reading through the Bible in a year, some are still doing it. And they get the the, the, the September uh, uh, reading kind of list from Jack nowadays. Good for you. Keep reading through. You don't have to feel like you've got something you know, like fireworks from heaven every day. You are simply taking in, just as, you know, most mornings if I eat cereal, I eat a bowl of muesli, and I don't, oh, this lovely muesli, I love this. I just eat it because it's good for me. You know, and I kind of feel better having done it. And then it works in ways I don't understand, the muesli even, right? But you know what? Scripture does that too. It works in you in ways that you are not conscious of. And when you're faced with a difficult question by some work colleague or whatever and suddenly you remember something you read ages ago but the Holy Spirit can bring it back to your remembrance. The Holy Spirit is incredibly genius and powerful but he cannot bring back to your memory something that never went into your memory. Right? Right? The Bible is the treasure that can never be exhausted. Augustine of Hippo. St. Augustine said the Bible was composed in such a way that as beginners mature, its meaning grows with them. Every week, I think, did I ever read that before? My word, I've never seen that before. We've already said, I'm going to say it again, maturity is not the result of time, but of obedience to truth. Solid food, the word of righteousness, is truth that is digested, and produces obedient action. It's not enough to know it, you need to do it. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You're not blessed knowing them. You're blessed when you do them. Oh, I understand tithing, David. Then just do it. Then you'll be blessed in doing it. Here's a few quotes. They use the word sp- spiritual. John Bevere. Physical maturity is bound to time. Spiritual maturity is... Is bound to obedience. Here's another one from Oswald Chambers, great Scottish theologian. Spiritual maturity is not reached by the passing of the years, but by obedience to the will of God. Some people mature into an understanding of God's will more quickly than others because they obey more readily. In other words, some people are mature in their 20s and 30s because they are doing everything God's telling them to do. And the more he opens up to them, the more they obey it, the more they grow. I want to put it to you this way. Maturity is the outcome of facing and making choices and decisions. I spoke a few weeks ago about our being stewards in the kingdom of God. It's a more responsible role than being a slave or a servant because you've got to figure out how making some choices and decisions. And the key to making good choices and decisions as a steward is this. Understand what the will of the master is, what pleases him. Understand your master. Understand what instructions is left. And then you can make those decisions. Paul writes about this in scriptures that should be familiar to some of us. Romans 12. Therefore I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies notice that? doesn't just say souls or spirits the way we tend to think. Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable God, which is your logical service of worship. The scripture that should not say spiritual. That's not the word in Greek. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's going to transform your mind more than anything else? Truth, Bible, Scripture. So that you may prove what the will of God is. So that you may work it out and put it into action. That which is good and acceptable, pleasing, and perfect. The word perfect is the same word as mature. You will learn to do what is mature and pleasing and acceptable and good before God by, how, by what? Constantly being renewed in your mind and then acting on what you've received. And in Ephesians, you are light in the Lord, walk as children of light trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. How can we know what is the will of God? How can we know what pleases Him, what is good and acceptable and mature? Well, two ways. One is directly. By the instructions of Scripture. Listen, we can't argue. I mean, I know people try. We can't argue with sexual issues of sexual morality. Let me give you this headline because I know there's a, there's a controversy now again in the Church of England. All the laws of God concerning human behavior are not wiped out by the New Covenant, but the laws and the precepts of God concerning the way we conduct sexual relations with one another are repeated as further instructions in the New Testament. The New Testament does not wipe out Old Testament law about human relationships. It it examines it and amplifies it and reapplies it. There's no getting away from that. You've got to deny Scripture to try and change morality. So by the instructions of Scripture, which means you need to read or listen to Scripture and learn for yourself. Why not ask if you need to know what the Bible says about something? Ask somebody you think might know. What scriptures do I need to look at about this? Alright? And then secondly, by inference, or indirectly, by inference from scripture. In other words, you know what God says about this, and you know his heart, his mind about this matters. Therefore, when it comes to this one, I have some basis for making a judgment. I can discern good from evil because of the things I already understand. Yes? Does that make sense to you? Not every issue in life can have a scripture tagged to it. There is no scripture that says thou shall or shall not smoke. There's no scripture that tells you whether you should own a TV or not. My great granddad would have preached against radio until he he had one. and He was preaching about TV and when he went they had one. Or about what kind of music you should listen to. Right? Oh it's not in the Bible so it's all isn't it? You need to make discerning choices based on what you already understand about the heart and mind and will of our Father and of our Master. doesn't for nothing say, by practice have learned to discern good from evil. See, there's, there's things that are really, really good and things that are really, really, really evil and there's stuff in the middle that's a bit of a mush right in the middle between those two. And you have to work your way through it and discern things. And even if other people think something is okay for them, you are entitled to make the decision, it's not okay for me. And I'm ruling it out. Right? And that's why we end up with differences of opinion about whether to eat meat or not eat meat. or whatever. Some of those things were controversies in the time of the New Testament. And Paul deals with that about the, don't judge your brother and, and you know, go easy on your, on, on your weaker brother who doubts, has doubts about everything, whatever. But we need to practice discernment. And you search it out by examination, by scripture study, by thinking it through, by reasoning it through. What is good from what is not. Choose and do every time what is good. And practice leads us to make better choices. How to believe is mature, and again, thanks to Doug Morelf with his notes on discipleship. I'm just, I've paraphrased this, put a bit more to it. Didn't put this up on the screen. How to believe is mature. Firstly, begin with truth you already know but haven't been obeying. You know this to be the case, but you're ducking it. Does Scripture, does God want you to stop some activity you know to be wrong or to start doing something that he instructs you to do? The Scripture tell you to change your attitude, forgive someone, reach out to help one, someone? Go and do it, because no further light will be given to you until you begin to obey the truth you already have. Second, review the promises of God. Get hold of Scripture that, that, that enables and empowers you. Promises of God that he will help you through his Holy Spirit to obey his word. And I've given some notes in the, some scriptures in the notes there for you. Review the promises of God. Take hold of promises of God. You always need to hear God's word that gives you life and enables you. Claim those promises for yourself. I don't often talk about naming and claiming, but I am today. Say, I believe, Lord, that promise is for me to actually go now and make this decision and this action. And you depend upon God's grace to enable you to begin what you need to do or to stop what you need to stop. And you count on his grace also to see you through the consequences. Because one of the devil's big tricks is, but if you do that, then what will they say? What will happen with that? How will that work out? And the truth is this. God's grace is is enough to enable you to make the decision and take the action and to deal with the consequences. Consequences should never put us off doing the right thing. We don't measure consequences and say, I could get in some bad stuff if I do this. I'm not going to do it. We say, I could get in some bad stuff by doing this, but you know what? I still need to do it and God will help me. And then follow these steps whenever you become aware of areas in your life and thinking that are not in agreement with God's Word. Keep doing that. This constant... Use builds the ability to handle the solid fruit of teaching about righteousness. The Bible is is here not only to give us information, make us worshipers of Jesus, but to teach us how to live. Thoroughly, comprehensively, every bit of life. Home, family, workplace. Later this month, we'll be starting our Foundations course on Thursday evenings, perhaps at another slot as well. It's for new believers. It's for those who are preparing for baptism. It's also for those who have a concern to help and support others, to be the kind of teachers we read about here in Hebrews 5. Just ordinary brothers and sisters reaching out a hand to someone to help them. Help them along. To say, it sounds proud, it sounds boastful. Paul dared to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Watch me. Do what I do. You'll learn. September is always the start of a new term for church after a summer break. Today the word of God brings us to a call to maturity. To not think of ourselves as grown up and mature, but to be eager to learn, to obey, to grow. To actually take on some responsibility for people around us. Do you want to choose to pursue growth in knowledge and faith and obedience? It is a matter of choice. You don't grow by staying the same. To grow means to change. And maturity is not inevitable. It is to be pursued. And I quickly looked up this morning. New Testament has repeated instructions that we are to pursue, to seek, to go after. Holiness, the kingdom of God, to, be, to being made perfect and complete and mature. We're to pursue it. Not, I'll, I, it'd be okay if it happens, I'll just wait here. No, run! This one thing I do, said Paul, forgetting... I know I wasn't going to quote it, I am. Forgetting the things that are behind, counting all the things as loss and as dung and as rubbish. I press on for the high calling of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Being conformed to his sufferings that I might share in his resurrection. Paul was pushed, he was in prison when he wrote that. He was in prison. I'm pushing on, I'm pushing forward. To do what? To be the best of, no, no, no. To know Jesus. To obey him. The idea that if we just hang around long enough we all grow up is false. I urge you to take hold of the disciplines of grace that I taught you through this last year. Use them to take hold of the grace of God, which is available to you to grow, to become strong, to live uprightly and confidently in the Lord. One final and then we need to break bread. If we do not grow strong in obedience, we will not be strong against opposition. Where on earth did you get that from, David? From Jesus? End of Matthew 7. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And The rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And, same thing, rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. This letter to the Hebrews is written to people who were facing crisis, test, trial, whether to deny Jesus and return to Judaism only a faith in Jesus made strong through obedience to him will endure the fierce trials that they were entering. And here's the thing. We might, you might think you're strong. and I'm not denying, I'm not criticizing anybody. We sing, you know, cross before me, the world behind me, you know, thing. but there are some things that would stumble you if you haven't learned strength through obedience to the word of righteousness. They'll trip you up because your feet are not secure in walking in the truth. Now you say, why do you say things so strongly, David? Because I have a duty before God to present you mature before Him. I have a responsibility to present every man, every person mature. I have to strive for it. I have to push myself to it. I have to try to draw you to it too. Jesus said a number of times, quoting the Old Testament of course, He who has ears to hear,